For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. No BS with the Bull, Manny Fernandez. Worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network, the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, with the raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. And uh, back after a couple of weeks on hiatus, we were off doing some other things. Manny, uh, how's your mouth treating you? You got, uh, you got a, a, a rebuilding going inside of there, right? Right, right. It's coming along, man. It's going along. It's just painful. Painful. Every time I try to eat something, I end up biting the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet. I I don't envy you, my friend. I don't envy you at all with uh, with teeth problems. There's nothing worse than a sore mouth, you know? There's nothing really you can do about it. No, especially when you try to talk and you end up chewing the side of your mouth like you got a big wad of tobacco in it or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, besides that, there's uh, since the last time we talked, there's been tons of really not great news in the pro wrestling world. We lost uh, the Patriot Del Wilkes. We lost Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. And we've learned that Terry Funk is in an assisted living facility. So those are all three people that you came to know and love over your years in pro wrestling. So I wanted to spend some time and dedicate our short show to... Uh, the pa- the passing and the the troubles of of those three men. Well, there's also four. There was four in my in my orbit in my world and the group of people that I kept close to me. We lost uh, Chris Youngblood Romero, okay, uh, Youngblood's brother, Mark Youngblood's brother, and Ricky Romero's son. And uh, Ricky Romero, which was one of the greatest Hispanic wrestlers, probably in an era that nobody talks about. You know, he was up there with El Santo and Mil Mascaras and Jose Lothario and Pepper Gomez. You know, there's a lot of the thing I hate about this professional wrestling crap is you're always talking no no offense to the white people. Yeah. But it's always about them, you know, you and trying them, talk about them, but you don't talk about the great lucha lords of the past, the Santos, the Mascaras, the Gomez's and Lotharios and the Romeros. Those guys that were great wrestlers, you know, back in the era that you had on a card that could be main event anywhere in the world, Pedro Morales. Of course, he's a big push because he stayed up in New York. Right. You always got to hear about him. But Pedro stayed up there and didn't do much traveling to other territories. But these guys I mentioned went all over the place and were able to get over everywhere. But Chris, we lost Christian. It's, it's my birthday month, and I was hoping it would be a great celebration month for myself and be able to go down. And I promised Terry I'd come down and visit him because, you know, his birthday was on June 30th. And, I, you know, we put it off to when uh, 
I was able to travel down there for, for my teeth and we'd be able to go out for steak and lobster together to celebrate our birthday month. But since I heard that Terry's assistant living, that destroyed me right there. And it made me mad because I waited too long. I should have went before I said, you know, we're going to get together. I should have went way before that. Now I'm kicking myself in the ass because I hadn't. And, you know, you see these posts, and I appreciate people's posts about, you know, people talking about, oh, we talked to Terry, and he said he's going to do an angle. When he gets done, he's going to do an angle. No, that, that didn't sound like Terry to me when we talked. He was yeah. concerned about it. He was concerned about his health. People don't understand. I've known Terry Funk since I was a junior in college in 1977, and we've been together all those years. That's a lot of years together. That's sure. a lot of years of moving up and down the road together, sharing things. Spending time, spending time at his ranch with him and his family and his wife, you know, doing things together all, all throughout our careers, you know, so that, that really offended, affected me, you know, because he's so special to me because, you know, what he did for me when I was a green kid, eight months in the business back then was unheard of. He'd be put over in the middle of the ring by a guy that great, that much of a, you know, his family royalty, the funks, first family of probably Russians. You know, because they own territory. They were great guys. They were great world champions, all of them. It's just, you know, it's just, I just wonder every day. You know, I haven't been there ever since all this news. You know, Dell Wilkes was a young guy that played football at South Carolina Gamecocks. Who I'm a big fan of the Gamecocks. I don't know why. I just like them because Ricky Haygood, I remember him and Ricky Haygood, the defensive end of that fire ant defense, they called them back in when they had George Rogers as a running back and, uh, you know, and me being a football player, I enjoyed going down there to watch those games and watch that fire and defense tear people up. And that's the year they went 10 and one and kicked everybody's butt. But, you know, watch those guys play me and while we travel down there and enjoy ourselves watching them play and compete. And then when he got into the business, you know, I met him up at AWA and helped him out, him and Wayne Bloom and uh, Mike Enos, yep. the old Beverly Bulls were, used to be the construction crew. You know, I ran around and taught those young guys, natured them, mentored them, helped them and everything. And Dell was such a respectable, great guy. You know, and I still to this day don't can't forget uh, a memory about me and him. When I got through paying off all my IRS debt, I owed IRS half a million dollars in debt because of my divorces and women taking property and, and then selling it because it was in my name. I ended up, for whatever reason, I ended up having to pay all these taxes on that. Yeah. And I told him like a dumb person thinking, oh, hell with you, I ain't going to pay you a dime. Not realizing that if you keep doing that, that interest compounds yearly and it adds up and it adds up. And eventually you're like, whoa, I owe these people that much money. What the heck am I going to do? You know, thank God I'm a veteran was able to go to stand down. And when you go to a stand down and veterans that are struggling, you can go see lawyers and doctors or whatever, uh, IRS agents and stuff, and they can expunge all that debt. So I was very fortunate <laughs> that I was a veteran and got that lucky that they wow. expunge all that debt. They expunge all that debt. But Dale was a car salesman in Columbia and he wanted to get me a car. <laughs> he called me up and said, Manny, Man, brother, I'm doing the best I can to get you a car. But the bad thing about that is you don't have any good credit and you don't have any bad credit. You just got no credit. I said, that's because I just finished paying off half a million dollars in IRS debt. 
<laughs> but he tried so hard. I mean, he tried so hard. I said, don't worry about it, man. I got enough cash to buy me a car. I mean, that was that was a great moment because we were laughing about what he says. Well, you're one of those in-betweeners. Ain't got no bad and you got no good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was kind of, those memories come back. And, of course, the memories of uh, Chris Romero Youngblood with his brother Jay. And I tagged him with his brother Mark Romero in the Kansas City territory. We had a good run together. And, of course, his father. His father was wonderful to me in my rookie. The first couple of months in pro wrestling Amarillo territory, uh, I tag team with Ricky Romero. Ricky Romero. Yep. Yeah. Rapid Ricky Romero. One rapid Ricky Romero. And he taught me how to baby face. He taught me how to sell. Oh, you're dying, kid. Don't die. Fight back a little, you know. Don't oversell. Don't oversell. I mean, he was he was a big influence in my career then when I was young. For the first three months that I was just four, three, four months that I was in Amarillo. He was very, very helping in, in creating that baby face style that I had to sell and the fire and come back, everything like that, as he had, because he was a great baby face. Yeah, and, I think you know, so. people don't know as much about Chris Youngblood because, you know, he never had a big run with the major promotions. He had um, his time and success was in world class and, uh, World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico, and where you worked right. for a little while in Globally. Globally was part of Skandor Akbar, Skandor Akbar's Devastation Incorporated. So I think that's yeah. why maybe you don't hear as much about Chris Youngblood. That's true, but he was part of that great Romero family that with uh, Mark and Jay and Ricky Romero Jr. and all the kids that were wrestlers from the Romero family. You know, and so like I said, you don't hear very much about great pepper gomez who was one of the top biggest stars in the state in the california territory in the amarillo territory you know other territories through arizona new mexico and throughout florida too top guy in florida i mean you don't hear too much about those guys and that got me to thinking you know everybody talks about you know this these great wrestlers and yeah paul orndorff was one of the best too you know i met him in florida tough guy good athlete great athlete always concerned about his body and his look, tough guy. You know, those are the kind of people that I enjoyed running up and down the road with, sharing a car with, you know, sharing stories with, sharing beers with, sharing bar fights with. These are the guys that you knew had your back. These are the guys you never had to worry about anywhere you went, anywhere you wanted to stop, any dive in a hole in the wall place. You wanted to stop and felt like having a beer. You never would consider like, Oh, I don't want to go in there because I'm worried about this and that. No, you never did that. You were able to walk in there and be confident that you know if something went down, these people had your back. You know, not today. Yeah, right. <laughs> After you did it, when you go to half the places we, <laughs> one third of the places we used to go into. Well, is, is it, I mean, my impression, and I'm an outsider, Manny, but my impression is that. 30 years ago wrestling was a fraternity now wrestling is a show so it's like and i'm not i'm not saying this literally but it's almost like a theater company putting on a play you know they're putting on a show or a las vegas show and after that show everybody kind of goes off in their own way and you know they're together while they're together and apart while they're apart 30 40 right. 50 years ago 
wrestling was a brotherhood and it was a fraternity. And if you were a wrestler, you identified as a wrestler in all walks of life and you lived your gimmick, right? Isn't it? Is, is that, you have that right? Yeah, you got that exactly right. It was a brotherhood. Brotherhood, fraternity, private, relied on one another to make a living, to support their families, to take care of one another, to make sure that if we were up and down the road driving back in the day, that if something happened, a guy broke down, did something, lost flat tire, whatever it was, that you were there to help him out. No matter what, you were there to help him get back on the road, get back to where he had to be that night and make sure they were there to make their money. You never, never left the brother. It's like you know, being in the military. You don't leave a brother behind. We didn't leave a brother behind back there in the, in the professional wrestling that I knew. We always were there one one for one and one for all, you know. Amen. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, we, we touched on him maybe a few weeks ago. I think, was, was he gone from Florida by the time that you got there? But did you cross paths with him somewhere along the road in the Carolinas, maybe? I saw a little bit of Florida when he was leaving for Louisiana. You know, I met him through the, the friends of Steve Kern and Steve Kern, uh, Mike Graham and uh, Jim, uh, Jimmy Garvin, that, those guys that were around there, you know, Dickie Slater. Another guy, tough guy that we lost a lot. Another Florida boy that we lost a long time ago. But, you know, those are the guys that kind of gave me the attitude about wrestling because they were straight up tough guys. Right. You know, they wrestled when they were in the ring. They, were, they're, they're, they portrayed, they, whether they were baby face or heel, they portrayed that image of being pretty tough. And they were. Outside of the ring, they were pretty tough, too. It was, there was no fear in them. You know? was, so that's what I said. You're always comfortable going Sorry, I stepped on you. <laughs> Keep going. I'm sorry. No, I was just, uh, just saying you're always comfortable going to places. You never had no fear. I was talking to Bill after uh, last night we recorded Wrestling with History with Bill and Ken Resnick. And we were talking about, you know, Paul came up in that Florida territory where Eddie Graham didn't want any air between the shots, uh, you know, uh, an elbow or a fist in somebody's face. And, and that was how Paul came up to work was very stiff. And you've talked about that before. And you came up on the show of uh, you and Terry Funk and everybody that worked in Florida worked stiff and worked, worked snug and tough. And it was believable and it was real. And, and I think there's a lot of people around the country that I've heard give Paul a hard time for saying that he worked stiff and gave guys a hard time when he didn't feel like they were giving a hundred percent effort, but that's how he came up. Right. Eddie Graham wanted, wanted a very real show. <laughs> we were called stiff. Correct. But Eddie Graham wanted us to be called solid. It had to be solid. If you hit a person, you make it solid. You knock the crap out of him in the chest and the back and the thighs and the legs in the fatty part of the body, just the, the cross. We used to call it the cross. That's the eyes and the nose and mouth. You make a cross like that. And you don't hit solid in the cross. You can go through the forehead pretty daggone solid because that's a forehead. But outside of that, you had to be, we called it, it was stiff. I'll admit it was stiff, but we called it solid. Oh, we're solid. Oh, no worries, buddy. And then that's, that's the funny part. Everybody I've ever trained, that's how they work. That's how I was taught to work in Amarillo before I went to Florida. Dick Murdoch was solid. Blackjack Mulligan was solid. And trust me, Dory Funk with those uppercuts, he was solid. Terry was solid. Dennis Stamp, all that territory. 
the Funk's territory was like Eddie Graham. Dory Funk Sr. was just like Eddie. He didn't want no space. You're going to hit somebody. If you go take it onto the floor, you better knock the shit out of that person. And I, like I said, I went to that show that last time when they gave me that award, and these idiots took their fight onto the floor, and they were stomping their foot on the damn pavement and doing it, one of the worst punches I've ever seen in my life. You know, like that's very real. You know, that's why, but bringing that up, you know, that's why I'm glad that Vince put out a disclaimer about no more leg slapping. Did you hear about that? Yeah. You don't want no more leg slapping, no more thigh slapping. He's sick of the little guys. He's going to bring back big guys to make the difference. It's about time you put the product back in where it's supposed to be. You put the product, have a little more respect for your product. Maybe you'll start getting some ratings and maybe drawing some people instead of paper. You know, they paper all their shows. If they don't sell out, they just paper them. I was there when they were giving hundreds of tickets away at a show in California. They were just giving tickets left and right because they couldn't sell out that little arena. But right. they paper, that's what they call paper in the show right. to get a crowd in. But, you know, I'm glad that uh, he's finally done something to try to turn it around. Well, you know, speaking of crowds, I, I don't think many people know or realize what a draw Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff was. And I always talk about Hulk Hogan as a, he was the right guy at the right time and very talented, of course, but without people like Jimmy Hart, talented. Bobby Heenan, and, and what's that? Did you think, did you say Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan was talented? <laughs> right guy right time and he was charismatic i'll say that but i think without bobby heenan as a chief antagonist and jimmy hart and people like paul orndorff hulk hogan wouldn't have drew nearly as well this is my opinion as he ended up drawing within that wwe machine but if you think about it manny hogan and orndorff on the main event in a non-televised show in Toronto, Canada, drew 74,000 people in, in, uh, in Toronto back in 1986. And that's never talked about as one of those big monster shows. I mean, it's acknowledged it's called the big event, but it's not talked about like Hogan Andre, you know, but 74,000 yeah. people came to see Hogan and Mr. Wonderful. And Mr. Wonderful was a recurring antagonist throughout Hogan's uh, 80s, mid-80s WWE run. Right. But you know what's funny? You mentioned that. Not only that, you could mention most of the top talent that came out of Florida, Steve Kern, uh, Paul Orndorff, Dickie Slater, uh, Terry Garvin, you know, all those guys that were on top, uh, you know, Barry Windham, all those guys that worked top the top building in the territory, even my Dusty Rhodes, myself, you know, people like that. I don't, I don't want to throw myself out there, but I was top you know, those guys always could draw money. They could draw money anywhere. You could put them with anybody anywhere and they could draw, you know? You there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know what was going on. My phone was doing something funny. I'm sorry. But all those guys could draw throughout the country, you know? So there was, you know, to say that Paul Ondorf was a surprise that he did that, it's no surprise to me. No surprise at all. He carried that man. There's people, you put people with Hulk Hogan that would carry him and make him, like you said, the antagonist, him and Bobby Heenan. They had to always put somebody. And, and besides that, the only thing that got Hulk Hogan over was making that movie with Mr. T. That's when it became entertainment. That's when Vince said, oh, wait, we got something here. We got this guy on the movie. 
here with Mr. T, you know. So, you know, that, that to me is where Rocky, Rocky three, Thunderlips. Yeah, 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 you know, all that stuff. But his Rocky three movie with Sylvester uh, Stallone, I'm sorry, but uh, that's what got him over the top there. And then it became entertainment. Vince uh, saw, hey, look, this guy's entertainment. He's in a movie with Sylvester Stallone. Let's get something out of it. But you can't blame Vince for it. He, he took it and ran with it. You know, it's just like, I don't know. You know, it's like it's handed somebody a million dollars and them saying, no, it's okay. I don't want it. Vince well, saw it and he took it and ran with it. There's a lot. I mean, everything in life is right place, right time, right opportunity. And Hulk Hogan was the right person at the right place at the right time. And he had the national exposure from being in that movie. He had done well up in in Minnesota with Vern Gagne and Vince capitalized and saw this as somebody he could market nationwide to do what he wanted to do. And, you know, this is debated over the years, Manny. If Hulk Hogan never left the AWA, could somebody else, could Paul Orndorff have been that guy? Could somebody else have played that role as well as Hogan did or better? Well, there could have been many guys. There could have been, you know, the, the Bret Hart. There could have been, you know, a lot of baby faces up there, the Hart brothers. They could have had Paul Orndorff. There were so many good guys up there. You had a ton of talent up there. They all could have played that role. Like I said, he, he fell into that movie with Sylvester Stallone, got national exposure because the movie went over like a million dollars and people saw it all over the world. So he he was made for that spot. Like, you're right. In pro wrestling, and Bill After will tell you this, pro wrestling is about timing. It's all about timing. Like me, showing up to Florida, a young, Hispanic, hot-tempered Latino uh, after the Cuban crisis that came down and the Marielle boats in the, uh, the 70s or the 80s, all of them Cubans were there. They came to, to Miami, Florida and everything. I went in there and, you know, that's what the Cubans thought. Oh, we got a Latino, you know, and hot-tempered and and fired up and can go. And, you know, it was a perfect time. That was a perfect timing. Same thing. It's all about timing. I try to keep telling all my students, it's not about that you're not good enough. It's about the timing. Somebody disappearing. You know, it's, you know, Andre the Giant went out of the business. The big show came in. Oh, all of a sudden, the big show is a big man. Right. You lost Andre, and then you got the big show. Timing. All timing. Yeah, I, I think... I think, and that, that's all forms of entertainment, right? It's, it's right yep. place, right time, right opportunity. And, and sometimes when the timing's not right, you have very talented people that just don't have the same success. And I, I think you, you think about a guy like Hulk Hogan, if he had come, come in 10 years earlier, wouldn't have been nearly as successful. And 10 years later might not have been nearly as successful and um, in, in that same role. So it's just all about, you know, what what time and what opportunity presents itself there. Manny, let me take a quick break. I'll come back and um, we'll wrap up with some thoughts on Terry Funk and and um, some some other things that are happening, uh, current events. So let's uh, take a break. We'll come back on the other side. No BS with the bull. Manny Fernandez on VOC Nation. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, 
Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. All right, no BS with the bull. The raging bull, Manny Fernandez, on VOC Nation. And Manny, talking about some of the people we lost or that are having hard times and led us into this discussion about right place, right time. But we were just talking about in the break, it's, it's somewhat about who you know as well, right? You could be very, very talented. But like for yourself, if you never met Terry Funk or Dick Murdoch, you might not have had the opportunities you've had. So it's a lot about who you know and who believes in you, right? Yeah, that's true. But, you know, I, I was very fortunate because they met me. They could, they would come to football and practice in football games, and they wanted to know who I was. You know, I didn't go out looking for them. Like I told you, the first time I saw Terry Funk well, was we were doing our normal run when we showed up for two days in the summer, and we used to have to run from our practice field to Buffalo Bowl. And he was riding on that horse yelling at us, and I called him an idiot. Who's that stupid idiot? <laughs> you know, I didn't know who he was. Didn't care who he was. Found out later, and we became very close. Thank God. And uh, it is, you know, it's it, going back to what you were saying. Things about, you know, everything was right at the right moment for Mr. Hogan there, but he was in New York. If you notice something, he got overstrung in New York because New York is that kind of city. They accept anything. There's all kinds of people, different walks of life kind of weirdos, not weirdos, people that do this and that. New York's just New York. But when they try to keep and come over and take over uh, WCW with the NWO and everything like that, that stuff didn't get over. He didn't get over in Atlanta. You notice that. It, it ended up, Ted Turner said, I had enough of this. Bye-bye. Adios. You guys didn't get over. You're costing me money. So it, it didn't get over. He could not get over and keep the territory WCW old WCW territory going. Right. So they lost the Atlantic market. See? So that's, they was, he was in the perfect place, right time, like you say, but that had to be in New York. He didn't get over like he did in New York and Atlanta. Right. That didn't happen. Right. That yeah. But, and and so. that's life, right? It's all the op, every opportunity is different and every opportunity has a different set of circumstances and, and that's how people become successful. And, you know, in my business career, I coach people to, to, I mean, basically it sounds cliche, but never give up because your opportunity, you have to keep working hard. You have to keep setting the table and eventually the right opportunity will come up in the right place at the right time. And sometimes that happens later in your career or life than you want. Sometimes it happens early and some people fizzle out because they're not ready, but you have to keep working at it, keep learning, keep growing, keep developing to, to make sure that, th- that when that opportunity comes up, you're ready for it, right? Right, correct. Uh, you better be ready for it. You better be ready, like, <laughs> catch a tiger by the tail, kick the door down, and hit it hard. If not, it'll pass you by. That's definitely in this business. So, Manny, um, before we close today, you know, Terry Funk is uh, not doing so well. You talked about him at the top of the show and you've talked about him a lot since we started doing this a few months ago, but Terry means a lot to you. And um, have you talked to him much over the years? And now he's, I guess, dealing with some, some health issues and he's, he's in a facility, a, um, a, 
uh, what do you call it, assisted living facility. Have you stayed in touch with him all through the years? Yes, I have. I spent, like I said, he's been uh, part of my life for 45 years. We've always been in touch one way or another. I've always, when uh, earlier in our careers, I'd go and stay at the Double Cross Ranch. And then when he moved to his new place on the lake in Amarillo, I'd go visit him and Vicky all the time. We'd take road trips together, me, him, and Vicky. I could tell that story about me, him, and Vicky getting stuck in the mud one time in the snow. When we, <laughs> when Vicky said we had to put the four-wheeler on, it's going to snow. And we didn't think we were doing it. It did snow, and we ended up in a ditch. But, yes, I stay in touch. I talked to him uh, a week ago, and he told me yeah, he was in there and that uh, assisted living. And he didn't want me to come down because he wanted me to wait. So he could take his, you know, his birthday's on June June 30th, mine's July 27th. So towards the end of both months, and uh, we're supposed to meet uh, meet up and go out for steak and lobster. And that's when he told me he didn't want me to come, and he told me he was an assistant living. And he didn't want me to see him like that. He didn't want no one to see him like that. So you know, it's like I said, everybody can say their prayers, and I appreciate it, and I'm pretty sure he does. And tell stories about how they shared time with him in the business and did things with him when they were together in certain territories and stuff. And he basically grew me up. I was a junior in college when I met this man and they basically grew me up. They came paid me when I was in college. Yeah. I kind of was, you know, putting things together. I'm not stupid. You know, I would go to the shows and see stuff and, but they, they always came paid me when it came to the business about that. And still I started, you know, seeing it on my own and get a little bit smart. And then they would t- teach me about, okay, well, you got to learn how to kayfabe. It's very important in the business that you learn to kayfabe. And, and somebody stranger that doesn't know, you got to learn how to say kayfabe. And don't say anything around these people because they're not worthy of what the business is about. So, you know, I've known him, like I said, he basically, him and Murdoch and them guys screwed me up while I was in college. Spent a couple of years in college with these guys before I went on the end. You know, I wasn't involved in pro wrestling. I was involved with them like a friend or, or like a guy, a good buddy that they, they loved hanging out with and loved uh, driving up and down the road with. It's one of their crew. I was one of their crew, but even though I wasn't a wrestler, I was one of their crew because I could go with them, hang out with them, go to the shows with them, drive up and down the road with them. So, it's, yeah, it does, it does, and it hurts that I can't go see him, and he won't tell me where he's at. That's the hardest part. I just asked him where he's at. He didn't say nothing. He told me, no, no, you know, you just wait. So, you know, you got to honor the wishes of a person, especially somebody you've known that long. And you know his, I know his every way, you know, all his ways of, of the way he lives, the way he believes, and what he believes in. Believes in. Sorry if I'm stuttering, that the stitch is in my mouth. No, no, no. I, I, I did listen. All good, all good, Manny. And apparently, from uh, from what we understand, Terry's not in bad physical health. It's his mental health that's um, deteriorating, and that's a function of being in that wrestling business when it was a lot, a lot tougher than it might be today. Right? I mean, it's uh, there's a lot more uh, precautions in place for concussion protocol and things of that nature, and. Yeah. Didn't happen when you guys were in the ring, right? And and that's why a lot of a lot of wrestlers um, have left us early, quite frankly. 
basically what you're really trying to say, Bruce, is that's when pro wrestling was pro wrestling, not entertainment. Well, you know when that, and you can say that. I've never lived it, so. <laughs> that's a pro wrestling. Like you said, there was no air. That's yeah. when you got hit. You hit. It's like a guy said, if you bring a, re- a weapon to the ring, you better use it. You better hit me with it. If not, I'm going to take it from you, and I'm going to beat you with it. There you go. That's what it was told back in the day. If you brought a chair to that ring, you better knock the hell out of that person. And if you don't, they're going to take it and knock the hell out of you. There you go. Well, no better way to wrap it up than that statement. We're going to let Manny get uh, get to tending to his mouth, and hopefully he heals up by the next time that we talk. And uh, we'll pray for all of the, the people that are struggling and the people that we've lost in the last couple of weeks here in the pro wrestling community manny uh rest up my friend stay well okay thank you i'll tell you i'll tell you what my mental health doctor today would rather i shut my mouth too many (laughs) (laughs) as bad as i treated him at the va today he was hoping my (laughs) well i got I got the good Manny Fernandez today. That's it for us. I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Ward. For the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, we'll talk to you next time on No BS with the Bull. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation.